Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. 2 Peter chapter 2, as we have a tradition here to withstand as we honor God's Word. It's absolute truth, if you need to be reminded of that. And um, Peter is teaching us about those who preach a different quote-unquote truth. False teachers, false preachers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 but there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily or sneaky-like shall bring in damnable heresies. I, I'm not going to preach this in a second, but I'll tell a heresy in its root core is a, something made up by man. That's a very simple definition. It's a, it's a, it's a made-up fill-in-the-blank. We live in a day of a lot of made-up stuff. There shall be those who bring on these damnable or destructive false teachings, even denying that Jesus bought them. I haven't even preached that out and won again today, but he paid the price for the sins of the world. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many people, many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth or the church, the cause of Christ shall be spoken evil of. We get a bad name in Christianity because of false teachers and false followers of false teachings. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbers not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of, ungod of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered Lot, just Lot, righteous Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Oh, somebody say amen there. For that righteous man dwelleth among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now, just for teaching purposes, if you were to read that passage of scripture, I want to I challenge you to kind of go back up to verse four. Not that we're eliminating any scripture, but to read how this works out because there's some encouragement in this passage for believers. But nobody grunted or said a holy hmm when we went by it, so maybe you missed it. We live in a day and age with false teachers. There's a false gospel, there's false gospels, there's a lot of people following their ways is what the word of God says, and the end is destruction. 
If you miss the, the harshness of the text, it's no like, well, God's going to get you. No, it ends in destruction, damnable heresies. You see the word destruction throughout or a word similar to it. For if God, verse four, I want you to start with verse four and, and English teachers would acknowledge the, the, the King James, this, is, this might be the longest run on sentence in the entire King James. All right? That's all right. We all have done our fair share. Of long, run on. Anyway, sometimes I think for 50 minutes it's just a run on sentence. <laughs> for if God spared not the angels that sinned, and then he gives three examples of those who were destroyed. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell, uh, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, for if he sent destruction upon these three examples, verse 9, he knows how to deliver you, deliver the godly. He knows how to send destruction to where destruction is required or needed, but he also knows how to deliver us. We get called up and sometimes good, good shallow Christians will be, that's right, get them God, destroy them God, destroy them God, and miss that verse nine, you're delivered from it. Once we grow closer and closer, as we grow closer and closer, I believe we'll be more excited about our deliverance than we will be about someone else's destruction. Father, thank you for your word. Help us today to see the truth as you've taught us, as your word teaches us, as your Holy Spirit enlightens us, God, we know we are living in a, a society of lies, not just from politicians and friends, but from people that claim to be preachers and churches. And what a sad day, what a sad reality that your word has taught us and we are witnessing that many will follow it. And the unfortunate reality of their destruction is imminent. It's sure. Help us to be preachers and teachers and Christians who live the truth, teach the truth, practice the truth to a world that needs to see it and needs to experience it. But God, we would be remiss and be failures today if we didn't see the reality of your deliverance in our own personal lives. And thank you for delivering us, for saving us, for rescuing us from destruction. Because one day, someone taught us the truth. And your Holy Spirit convicted us of the truth of our sinful state. And the truth of the good news of the gospel. And we responded and we were spared, we were saved, we were rescued, we were delivered. May we be encouraged by that reality today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we ticked some people off and called out some false teachers, so I won't do that two weeks in a row. I got nervous right before. I um, checked my mailbox here at the church, and I had a, I had a letter that um, I've learned to spot them, and um, they had a phony return address. And when that happens, I'm careful how or when to read it. And um, there were a couple men back there, and they said, just hold that till after you preach. I said, well, I can probably find out if it's a positive, an encouragement, or, or discouragement by the first few words. So I read the first few words, and I was a little confused, so I read the second line. 
And um, I still don't know if, what it was, but I upset somebody. Uh, probably based on, I'm, I'm going to use this as a, as a vivid example. I'm not just running my mouth. Um, I think I upset a Catholic, quite honestly. And uh, I don't know that we have any Catholics in this church that are members. <laughs> but there's a chance. Um, I don't remember saying anything recently too bad about Catholicism. But I, I'm sure maybe, maybe if they're watching, because I think they're probably watching like some of them do and decide to send in some things. It's good that you're watching. I appreciate your faithfulness to watch and attend online. But I would definitely like to know who you are and be, maybe I'm just not scholastic enough to know exactly what you meant, but I think I upset some Catholic friends. And um, I didn't, I'm, I, don't, I don't remember doing it, but there's a chance there's some Catholic friends who are buying in to false teachings. Is that safe? Is that benign enough? Now, some of you want me to just come on and just blast them. But I understand, this, this is why this takes longer. Um, probably shouldn't have read it. But this, this is an example, and I understand that um, American Catholicism, that's probably not even a real word, is quite different from Roman Catholicism. I'll just leave it at that. I understand we've got a variety of different sects, S-E-C-T-S, in circles of Catholics today. And um, if that's what happened, that's what happened. And um, I'll try to figure it out later when I'm in the right mind to read it. But I can't respond because they sent a phony address, so I'm not sure how I'm supposed to have a dialogue with um, someone who maybe they just wanted to get the point across. The reality is, if I'm honest, I'm concerned about any religion or any church who may be teaching a false gospel. Certainly didn't have it in my notes, wasn't planning on getting a letter this morning from phony address about Catholics. I believe there's only one way to salvation, and Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life, and that no man comes to him, to the Father, except through him. I feel like I ought to talk about it a little more, because I don't want to say if you're walking in a Catholic church, you have no hope. You do have hope. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've got hope. So I'll stop with that. But there's only, that's not the only false religion. Oh, that just said it again. That probably, that's not the only, that's an example of a false religion that may be, as Peter said, not his cousin Timothy, may, Peter said, many will follow that. I think I talked about baptism and church membership. Like, I think that's what it was. It's all coming back to me now. I don't want to be responsible for sending anyone a mixed signal of how to get to heaven, how to have a relationship with God. I'll leave it there. That's enough. Last week, we talked about the description of false teachers that Peter gives when he talks about them being common. He says they're, they're 
to expect them. They were in the past as false prophets and they're today as false teachers and we should continue to expect them. I think, quite honestly, in the day and age that we live in with technology and the access to innumerable resources, the growth of false teachings has just exploded exponentially. Because anybody with an opinion can be seen, heard, witnessed by millions of people at one time. And people have a choice. And if you have choices, usually people make choices. So we see they're common. We see the word privily in verse one, that they're not only common, they're clever. They, they don't come in and say, hey, everybody, I'm a false prophet and sending everybody to hell. Who wants to sign up? They bring in some truth and they, that word bring alongside of, they enter in and say, hey, here's a little bit of good news. Here's a little bit of fake news and here's a little bit of make you feel good. And before you know it, you've signed up and you're on their roll and you're ready to go somewhere and many there be that follow. We, we, not just pastors and preachers and teachers, but moms and dads and grandparents and true believers, we ought to be doing our dead level best to preach, teach, and live the true gospel so people have access to the truth. They're clever. They're counterproductive. They give Christianity a bad name. We see it on our news. We see, you know, blurbs on Instagram and Facebook and social and all of the rest of preachers and false preachers and false teachers who make us all look phony because they just lump us into one group. No, we're not really looking into getting a private jet. <laughs> but it would be nice. They give us a bad name and we also see the last descriptive of the false prophet is they're, they're covetous. They do it for greed and for money and they make money out of us or out of them. They make merchandise of you. But today, I want us to look at the last two points because that's as far as we got last week. Not just the description of these false teachers, but the destruction of false teachings. Now, if I'm being true to text, the indication is that the false teachers are destroyed. But I believe it's important for us to see as believers that the teachings are destructive. They lead to destruction. Jesus himself said, narrow is the gate, narrow is the door that leads to eternal life, and few there be who find it. But broad is the gate, broad, wide is the path, wide is the door that leads to destruction, and many there be who find it, who follow it who are on that path. We should not as a Christian be surprised when a lot of the people we're around on a regular basis are on the broad path. That's biblical. I can't read, I can't preach this without looming in the back of my mind hearing Jesus say to people who professed to be following him, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. It's a lot of people on the path to destruction. Narrow is the way. Well, that's narrow-minded. It's biblical. It's truthful. 
Does it upset some people? Absolutely. Is it indicative of the culture we live in? Absolutely. When we can have anything and everything the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, people want their religion that way too. It's just not so. There's only one way. So Peter talks about the destruction and he gives three examples. I want us to, this is pretty simple, pretty brief, potentially. But he gives three vivid, horrible examples of groups of people who were utterly destroyed by God. And he compares, he gives that example as a comparison of false teachers and their destruction and false teachings and the destruction of those false teachings. Now, there's, there's better Bible students in here than me and obviously some theologians who watch and send in fan mail. But I don't know that you could go through Scripture in the Old Testament and find three more extreme examples of grotesque sin and God's destruction than the three that Peter gives. Now, if I just stopped right there and said, hey, that's how serious God takes false teaching, that would preach good. That's how serious it is for a person who follows a false teaching, a false religion, and the woods are full of them. And he gives three examples, and, and this could actually be a study, and some of you would like to enjoy this. Go home and do the math, do the research yourself. First, he gives the example of the destruction of fallen angels. At first glance, and this would just pique your interest, and then I'll move on. At first glance, you think about the fallen angels, the third that followed Satan and went, went I'm, I'm out of here, God. This is not just those he's talking about. Most likely, these are a portion of the fallen angels. Oh, this, I see interest being peaked everywhere. I love angelology. Touched by an angel. Y'all remember that? That's good days. Oh, that's, Some of you have heard my take on angels. I believe them. I believe they're real. I don't believe they have curly blonde hair and fluffy wings and dresses. That look good on the top of your Christmas tree. <laughs> What's on top of yours, Santa Claus? No. <laughs> We're traditional in my house. We go with a star on top of our secular tree. Pagan tree with a star on top. Yeah, here we go. I've been, st I've been following, reading a bunch uh, I've been listening to a podcast with a guy who has ADD, and um, he was never diagnosed and, and until later, and I'm still staying away from it. The diagnosis. <laughs> these angels, according to Genesis 6 and Jude 6, these are a group of angels who, who left. They were part of the original fall, but they went and did some things that most people get confused about, and they, um, they basically inhabited men, and the men, the, the men uh, had uh, relationships with the women, and then giants, and, and all that. 
That was, some of you are like, well, I never heard anything like that. Is that the Apocrypha? It's in there. It's Genesis chapter six, verses one through four. Jude refers to it in Jude six. Just that one verse, because there's only one chapter. Everybody with me? You're looking like, wow, man, what book did he get that out of? The point is, these angels, these fallen angels were bad enough already. They followed Satan out, and now they left their what? The scripture calls their habitat, and they came upon men, and they caused more problems, which sounds pretty bad. The Bible says that, for if God spared not those angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, that word hell there is a, is a special word. It's not just Hades. It's, um, if you study the word, you'll find... It's like a a special place for the worst of the criminals. The Jews use that word. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Just my little angelology here. These are most likely part of the third who followed Satan, which was bad enough. They go do something even worse. There are some of those third who are still among us today. They've joined many Baptist churches. No, they they didn't do that. But they're among us today. They're that principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. But these did something worse, and now they've been delivered into chains of darkness in hell, reserved until their final judgment. Terrible wickedness, terrible destruction. Peter, under God's inspiration, gives this as an example of those who preach false gospel, false teachings, and the destructive nature of their teachings. Then he gives the example in verse 5 of the destruction of the old world, the, the world, the earth before the flood. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Don't have time, but we can go back and look in Genesis. It is worth noting in the 21st century, in 2022, it'd be a good time to take a quick 20-second time out for the youngs and for the olds and say there is an exorbitant amount of research and testimonies physically, naturally, archaeologically, scientifically, of a universal flood. That's good enough, I'll keep moving. And in Genesis chapter six and seven, we see why God sent a universal flood. Because of the wickedness, the gross wickedness that had permeated the universe. And God said, too much, too much. And God did destroy the earth with a universal flood because of their wickedness. Except for Noah and his family. And then we see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Once again, look at these three examples. The example of a, a group of angels, a group of Satan follower angels who did even worse. And then he pulls out the whole, universe, the whole world and their wickedness that was destroyed by a universal flood. They didn't just have their homes flooded. Creation was wiped out because of their wickedness. And that's the examples that are used. And then he throws in the one that all good Baptists love most, Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I have preached on that. I've upset a few more people about that. I've made it very clear that it wasn't just their sin. It was their parading and celebration of their sin. That's what the issue was with Sodom and Gomorrah. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And there is none righteous, no, not one. But when we bathe and use a good old-fashioned term, wallow around in our sin and broadcast it publicly to the world and put a flag up and say, look at my sin and have a month and say, look at my sin and put it on our Facebook page. I'm a, an advocate and an ally of this sin. That's nothing but a celebration of what God called an abomination. And if you did that with any other sin, you would be just as guilty. But most people who commit sin don't want to celebrate it. And I can assure you, here's going to cross some more lines. I can assure you a born-again Christian who knows something's a sin is not going to celebrate their sin. It's another line it crosses, in my theological opinion. That answers some questions if you were reading between those lines right there, too. You don't have many friends, do you? God uses this picture, Sodom and Gomorrah, that was destroyed. By the way, just for fun, there's a ton of archaeological proof that that place was vaporized. You can go there and walk around and kick your foot up and see it. There's ash galore, coincidentally, in this area of the world. I don't know how it happened. because Nobody's ever seen fire fall from heaven. It's all kind of stuff that can happen. I think about this stuff in my spare time. I think about the money we're spending to go take a couple million dollar satellite and run it into an asteroid to hopefully change the course of it so it doesn't hit us. You know, the last one that did it killed all the dinosaurs. Did y'all see this stuff a couple weeks ago? I mean, we sent up a multi-million dollar satellite to just knock it off a course, hopefully, so that it doesn't come down and turn into a rock that hits out in the ocean somewhere. That's what I have to see when asteroids, they come meteorite, they get burned up, and then they end up like a, in a rock out in the ocean somewhere. Nobody ever knows about it, but we just spent a bazillion dollars to hopefully knock it off its course so it might not hit us. What's that got to do with fire falling? Well, we asteroid, meteorites, something could happen. This place was pulverized. 
and archaeology proves it. But they're looking for an answer as to how there could be so much sulfur in this area. And we've got an answer. God had enough of it. And he warned them. And he said, I'm going to take care of this if you don't take care of it. And he took care of it. And he uses this as an example, this celebratory sinful lifestyle of a country. Oh, does that not ring bells? He uses them as an example, their judgment in comparison to false teaching. And he says in verse four, if God spared not these three examples, in other words, their destruction was imminent. Notice church, notice Christians, notice people. Their destruction wasn't immediate, but it was imminent. God said, it's going to happen. And it happened. Before we move into deliverance, God has said, it's going to happen. And it will happen. God has said, I will return. Jesus said, I will return. And it will happen. There is a judgment coming, not on just America, but on the world. And it will happen. It didn't happen immediately, but it is imminent. By the way, there's a good spiritual application to personally. There's always a price for sin. It may not happen immediately, but it is imminent. There are consequences for sin, and we understand that. I think about those three examples and I alluded to this last week. The context is there because he's talking about false teachers. He gives the example of those who suffered destruction. For what? Not just participating, but how did they end up participating in the destructive behavior? There were false teachers. No one tells God. Tired of this mess. That's the southern version. I'm tired of this. I'm going to have to clean this mess up. Man is wicked and doing their own thing. I'm going to clean it up, Noah. And here's how I'm going to do it. I want you to pay attention to this because most of us, most of us understand it. He says, I'm going to use a means that's never been seen before. I'm going to use a means of destruction that no one can even fathom. And I'm going to use the silliest of ways to save them. I'm just throwing that in. And you're going to build this boat. Noah has to believe. By faith, Noah, he ended up there. It's Hebrews 11. By faith, Noah, got to build this boat. God said build it big. He didn't have sons like most of us have sons, I promise you. <laughs> They'd have been in a John boat. Get to work, boys. For 120 years, there's so much gospel in Noah. I think we all know that. It's the goodness of God that leads a man to salvation. The patience of God, the long-suffering of God. 120 years, Noah built, he prepared, and he preached. And he preached the gospel. Just you help me out. He preached the gospel that nobody could understand. Didn't make any sense to him. 
Judgment's coming. What kind of joke? It's going to rain. Big drops. God said he's going to destroy the earth. What are you going to do about it? We're building this boat. The environmentalists were screaming and hugging trees left and right. (laughs) That got a giggle. But we live in a day and age where the environmentalists are just as religious as anybody else. And they're holding on, kicking and screaming, don't do this, don't do that. And it's it's a religion, people. It's a religion. And many of them worship trees and stumps. That's, that's not comical, but it's true. He used the means they'd never heard of, a means they couldn't understand, a means they had to have faith and believe of destruction and of deliverance. For 120 years, he gave them a chance. And Noah was the worst preacher in town because only his family believed. No, it was just a gospel that wasn't that easy to believe. It's a pretty narrow message Noah was preaching. God's going to get, I mean, you, you get on or it's over. One way, and it's this boat, and the door is open. And for 120 years, he preached. And for 120 years, false preachers preached that guy's crazy. That guy's a nutcase. You believe that knuckle dragger? He doesn't have proof. Y'all with me? They don't have proof that God is real, that Jesus really died on the cross, that he's really coming back. You believe that guy? Anybody believe that guy? You better believe he's crazy and whatever gospel I'm preaching over here, false teacher, is real. And many there were who followed the false teachers in Noah's day. How interesting is it that Jesus uses Noah as in the last days? One way, one message. This is the way in. You stay out of this way and the destruction is imminent. And Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, Matthew 22, 24. People will be living a wicked lifestyle, doing their own thing. They'll be laughing. They'll be criticizing. They'll be ridiculing those Baptists and those good Presbyterians or whoever else believes the one way to salvation. Many there will be that believe it. What are they believing? I don't know what they're believing, but they're not believing the truth. And they're being persuaded to believe something other than the truth. And God gives these examples. Total destruction in Noah's day. Total destruction in Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody was preaching in Sodom and Gomorrah, it ain't gonna happen. They just don't like our lifestyle. They just don't understand us. Or whatever else they were saying to convince Lot's family to hang out there. Little Bible history, Lot had four daughters, at least two of them had married those, married into the country. The other two were with them. There's a lot of conversation here about Lot we don't have time to get into. I'd probably really upset some people if I told you what I thought was wrong with Lot. And let me say it this way. Let me, let me reframe. Just had a, I had a wedding this week. 
We counseled for six sessions. We had the wedding. I preached the gospel kind of in the wedding. I also preached the family in the wedding. And I read scripture. And the man is the head of the family. Baptist, that's the time to say, that's right. Even if your wife's here. (laughs) Men are to lead their family. Wives are submit to the leadership of the man, as unto the Lord. So men, submit to God. She won't have a problem submitting to your authority. Oh, that just doesn't sound right. Do you know what year it is? I also know the statistics that prove if you do it, it helps. And if you don't, it hurts. Because God knew what he was talking about. What's this got to do with Lot? You must not have heard. Um, they didn't get married and the preacher didn't say it that way and they didn't believe it because here's my personal opinion Lot's wife ran that house that's just meddling that's just for fun (laughs) nah Lot had some issues one of his issues was he wasn't the leader of his family he tried to but somebody else had the louder voice I don't know it just didn't work out by the way, if you go to the Holy Land today, you can see Lot's wife. Pillar of salt. I don't believe it's really her, but when you're riding through at the Dead Sea and all that, they'll say, there's Lot's wife. And there's a picture. I got a picture of it in my office if you want to see Lot's wife. Um, she's not a very pretty lady, but. I can deduce several truths about Lot's family from the history and how this all happened. But after God gives three examples of destruction, he gives three example, two examples of deliverance. And one is Lot. And he, refused, he refers to Lot as righteous. So just as sure as God's judgment for sin and his deliverance, just as sure as God's judgment for sin is, his deliverance for the righteous is sure as well. The Lord knows, verse 9, how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. We don't relish and enjoy the reality in a carnal, arrogant way. But destruction is sure for the unbeliever. We don't get excited about that. We don't celebrate that. It's a sad reality. So we preach the good news. We preach the gospel. We say God loves the world so much that he sent his son to whoever believes in him. Doesn't have to perish, be destroyed, destruction, but can have everlasting life. That's what we preach. That's what we teach. That's what we live because we don't celebrate the reality that there's destruction. But we understand the truth that there is destruction coming. But we understand and we appreciate even more that our deliverance is as sure as that destruction. And he gives two examples here in verse five. We've already talked about the destruction of the old world, but we see the salvation of Noah. Now, are you saying that like he got saved? No, I'm saying it like the King James in verse five says, but saved Noah, the eighth person. There were eight of them in the family counting Noah. And he got saved at a revival that he was preaching just before the flood. No, that's... that's That's the extra biblical text. Noah was saved 
as a preacher of righteousness. I think it's worth noting that he was not just a preacher of righteousness, he was a practicer of righteousness. He preached what he lived, 120 years he was faithful to do it. He practiced what he preached. And we see this picture of salvation in the ark. We see this picture of deliverance. That word saved there is an important word. It's not like I got saved last week at at a revival, but it is similar to I got saved last week at a revival. It's really the word that he was protected. Those of us who are born again, we are protected from the destruction that is to come. And how are we protected? In the ark of salvation and the door of the ark. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep and any who come in through this door are saved. They're protected. That's the truth. That's the truth church that we teach and preach to the world that there's one door. There's one door and it is open. I believe it's open. I believe it's open to whosoever will. And I believe the message is being preached for more than 120 years. The door is open, but judgment is coming and the door is going to shut. And it's one of the most dreaded, horrific pictures, I believe, in all of Scripture. There's been paintings painted about this idea. Can you imagine that door shutting and the raindrops falling? They had never seen it before. Now, I believe biblically it happened a little different than that, but it does give us an image of people banging on the door, scratching on the door, clawing at the door, but the door shut. I think there's some theological truth in here that we're going to be taken out before the judgment falls. In both cases, in both cases, and Jesus refers to both, both Noah's day and Sodom's day, the righteous were removed before the destruction came. I'll just leave it there. Y'all can argue it if you want. You've got four other verses that say different, but I believe there's proof that God is going to take us out. Did I just say that we won't have to go through any persecution? Did anybody hear that? Nope, didn't say it. But the final destruction, I believe God's going to save and remove his church from that. I'm the door. If any come in are saved, the door's open, the preachers are preaching, and the false teachers are laughing. The false religions are saying they're a bunch of idiots. Can't believe he believes there's one way to heaven. You go to work, oh, he's one of those. You go to school, oh, they're one of those. You really think there's only one way? There was nobody left to argue after the flood. There were no sodomites left to argue after the land was turned into ash. One way. Is it that simple? Yeah. Is it it that narrow? Yeah. How do I do it? Faith. I've never seen God's judgment like that before. They'd never seen a flood like that before. The cross is foolish to them who don't believe. Just like that boat and that door was foolish to them who didn't believe. We live in a day where we're called fools and foolish quite often you hadn't figured that out. Don't be offended if someone calls you foolish or narrow-minded. Now, I'm not saying if you're a, a, a mean, I almost said the word I probably shouldn't say in church and on, online. Don't be mean. But if you're in love and preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel and living the gospel and you're doing it in love, 
Count it an honor to be called narrow-minded. Count it an honor to be called a knuckle-dragger. Bible believer. Old-fashioned. Well, you just believe the truth. By faith. Then the old Lot, I already talked about Lot enough, but he was also the second example of deliverance. If Lot was here today, he'd probably, his wife would probably be mad <laughs> over what I've already said. But what I do know is there's some truth that we find in Lot that's applicable to us today. Number one, he was delivered. He was righteous and he was delivered. It actually says, for that righteous man dwelling. And verse seven, and delivered just Lot. Now it's not just talking about just him alone. Just in case you missed that. He's calling him just, he's calling him righteous. He's calling him a believer, a faithful believer. He delivered Lot, a righteous man. Oh, and, and if you read this, and, and once again, this is encouraging, we're not alone. We're not alone today. We got friends and family, we got church members, and we all, we're all in this together. I hope we figured this out. We come to church on Sunday, and we had a bad week because you know, we love Jesus and we felt a little awkward sometimes. It's like, hey, hey, we're among friends. We should all feel a little awkward this week. We should all watch the news and be like, that's crazy. Or we should all feel the same way and maybe we got a little, I won't say persecution, but somebody made fun of us or called us this or can't believe you do that. We come here today, we're, we're all a bunch of goof-offs. We're just all knuckle-draggers. No. And we ought to be among friends when we do that. And here's what we see about old righteous Lot. He believed he was righteous, but here's what I believe we find encouragement from. Verse 8 says, that righteous man dwelling among them. This is really a whole sermon, and I'm going to stop in like three minutes, but. Those of us who are righteous, those of us who are believers, are righteous men and women dwelling among them. It's not new. You're not the first ones that have to go through this. The question really for the believer is, is it bothering you like it bothered Lot? Oh, this just took a turn right here. I didn't know he was going there. He was vexed. He was distressed. He was not comfortable living in Sodom. Well, why was he there? I already told you why. His wife ran, ran the family. She wore the pants. I'm being somewhat comical there, but he lost his wife. That family was divided because of his faithfulness. And we live in a day and age where families are divided over the gospel. Jesus said, there'll be mom against daughter and son against dad and husband against wife. You think I came to bring peace? No, rather division because the gospel is divisive. Why is it important for that young man to marry a young woman that's, and both of them be Christian? Because the gospel is divisive. You don't know how pretty she is. She loved Jesus. She born again. Is he born again? You're looking for destruction. You're looking for division. You're looking for problems. And she made a choice to turn around because she, her heart was there and she wanted to be there. 
The Bible says she was turned to a pillar of salt. As I've already said, you can go visit her if you want. What I do know is she wasn't living anymore. She was destroyed because Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. But Lot, he wasn't happy. He was upset. He didn't like living in that land. It vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I'm not telling you you should post something mean on Facebook. Never said that before. Not saying you should just be anti just for the sake of being anti. But we live in a day and age where a lot of us feel like Lot if we're righteous, if we love God and we love the truth and we're in the middle of it and we just ain't happy about it. We're not comfortable and our spirits are vexed. We're distressed. That's how a believer should feel in the middle of immorality, gross sin of any kind. Just not happy here. Kind of makes me feel like all of us just being submersed and immersed in a world full of sin. We're just not happy here, are we? Yeah, we got good days and bad. Don't get me wrong. We're not all running around in the mullet grubs and depressed and want to get out. But we're grateful that this world is not our home. We look around and say, whoa, man, I'd love to be an American. I'm glad to be American, but I'm glad I'm a citizen of another country. Because this place is going downhill fast. Would you stand with me? So we go to the Lord in prayer, and certainly if you're here today and you've never been born again, you never really trusted in the truth of God's word, you see through the examples in this second Peter that destruction is imminent. The Bible says that we're condemned already. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. If you've been born and you're living and never been born again, we're, you're living in a state of imminent destruction. It will happen. For those of us who've been born again, we've been delivered from that imminent destruction. If you're here and you've never been born again, never made Jesus Lord of your life, maybe you're saying, why is he saying born again? And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've been born once physically, now you've got to be born spiritually. You've got to be a new, new person, a new creation. How do I do that? One way, one door, one gate, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, for your deliverance, for your rescuing. Believe that he did all that he said he did and all his words said that he was sinless. He took on your sins. He took on my sin. He paid the price for it. No other way to God's heaven. And Christian, you know it. You're convinced of it. Your faith has been confirmed. Peter said, make your call in election sure. And if you know that, are you living it? You feel a little edgy in this world. You feel a little out of touch, like I don't belong here. It's the way it should be. So I don't know, I feel, you're going to preach again. I feel right at home when I'm in the middle of them probably need to check up. I didn't say you don't love people. I didn't say you don't be nice to people. I didn't say be, don't be kind-hearted to people. I said, but if you feel just at home in a sinful place, in a sinful group of people, 
practicing sin of any kind and your spirit's not vexed, it's a good sign. You're not where you ought to be spiritually. Do you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It's so true. I thank you that one day I was taught the truth. Your Holy Spirit convicted me. And I accepted you the only way. Your son Jesus as my savior. And was delivered, saved, protected from imminent destruction. And I'm sure there are people in this room today, maybe people online who they're born again and they know it, that they're thanking you right now. That's what we ought to be doing. God, I pray for that person. No doubt, a person in this room, person watching, they've never made their calling and election sure. They've trusted in their own ideas. Maybe they've trusted in some false teacher, some false religion. Maybe they just want to believe and they've convinced themselves, as your word tells us people will be, they've convinced themselves in the last days. Maybe today would be the day they trust in you. Make you Lord of their life, believing the way, the truth, and the life is the only way to salvation. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.